Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. And on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, we always invite our guests to come back three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So we hopefully you'll come back and we can be what we call spiritual family. That's kind of our goal here. If you're watching online, do me a favor, like, comment, share, leave a review, do something in the chat that kind of gets us through some of those social media algorithms and we can kind of get the message of Jesus out. Today, we start a brand new series called Real Family. If you're new to our church, we speak in what we call message series format. So I'll pick a topic for the you know three or four weeks and then I get bored and I have ADD. So I just kind of move on to a different topic. So... Uh, if you're like that, you're going to enjoy this church. And this week and this month, really, we're going to be talking about families and what God has to say about really living in this world with a family. And if, uh, if it just doesn't mean if you're, you know, so if you're single in here, don't feel like this is not for you. This is for you. If maybe you're looking to get married one day and have a family, maybe you want to be single the rest of your life. Hey, you can influence somebody who has a family. This is good wisdom for all of us that we can actually take and use and see what God has to say about really what how to live our best life um, as unto God. And so we were talking about real family because... Um, I, I, I got already a bunch of comments on why we called it Real Family, because if you see, we misspelled the word real, and uh, please don't email me about that. We did that on purpose, um, and the reason we did that is if you have social media, how many of y'all in here, um, just by a show of hands, have Instagram? Raise your hand. Come on. If you just, you're proud, you're, you know, you're caught up into the Instagram world. Okay, awesome. Um, if you're not... You've, familiar with it, Instagram has a feature on their app where you can scroll through videos and it's called Reels. It's a really kind of quick quick cuts of, of life and different things. And I've noticed social media is unique because um, we never post what's wrong with our family. You know what I'm saying? We never post the bad things. You, I've never seen on social media you, you, you and your wife fighting. I've never seen when like your kids got an F on their test. We, we never see you when you're just sitting at home on your couch. We always see you when you're at the beach in Hawaii, right? Uh, we, we, we don't necessarily put on social media the real, like R-E-A-L, right? We don't put the real parts of our life on social media. And what we tend to do is we put on what would maybe honestly seem like carefully curated cuts of what we want people to see, or even what we want them to think about us, right? And if we're not careful, we can get sucked into the, the rhythm of that a little bit. And before you know it, now you're not living your life based on principle or, or what the Word of God says. You live it because of what you think people want to see from you. And that can be a dangerous slope to walk down. And if you're a Christian in here, like if you're not a Christian, this doesn't mean anything to you. But if you are a Christian in here and you love God, you need to know that God and Jesus highly, they value, he values authenticity. He values this idea of being real. You know, we kind of even have that in our culture a little bit. Like, hey, just be real. What are you saying? You're saying be authentic. Be who you are supposed to be. Be who you know. You know who you're supposed to be like. And, and in Matthew chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, Jesus highlights this. Before we even get into the idea of family, I wanted to just set up this premise because this is important for us to know that Jesus values being real, doing. If you know better, that you should do better. And he's having this conversation with what, what's called Pharisees in the back in, in, back in during his time. And they were teachers of the religious law. So they were not, you know, Pharisees get a bad rap sometimes. You know, like pastors like me, we get to get up and be like, don't be a Pharisee. And we say bad things about the Pharisees. But honestly, 
They had good intentions. They were serving a purpose. They just allowed a good thing to become a God thing and over overshadowed what should be the right thing in people's lives. And Jesus has a moment to confront them. If you have in Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to show it to you. This is important. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, it says, So Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived in, from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? This is the funny thing about Christians. Is that if we're not careful, we can fall in love with a tradition, a thing that man created, instead of the thing that God created. And Jesus has a moment with them. He says, for they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. So they're, this is, they're literally the, 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 the followers of Yahweh at the time, the teachers of Yahweh, the ones who were, should know, were up in arms about not washing your hands. Okay? That's what they were talking about. And then Jesus replies, he says, oh, you want to, you want to, you want to talk Torah? You, you want to point fingers? I got fingers. You want to do this? Like you ever had a story, you know, you have a fight or somebody like where you said something and then somebody said back to you, oh, oh, this is what you want to do? And that's what Jesus does. He says, for instance, God says, honor your father and mother and anyone who speaks disrespectfully to your father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give, what God, to give to God what I've given to you. And in this way, you say you don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel. This is important. He says, so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You do what you feel is right, not because of what God says. You do what you feel is right because of tradition. Because you saw something and you copied it. You didn't do the right thing. And he winds up screaming, you hypocrites. Isaiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, he says, was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says, you better translation for what God is talking about. Summary of the statement. He's having a moment with people, and he says, you know, at the end of the day, you put on a show for others, but you're not real on how you live. And that, to me, is so funny. It's 2,000 years ago. He's having that moment that we're still, he's having that conversation that we're still having today. We put on a show. Hey, guys, I'm just out here. You know what I'm saying? San Antonio, Texas. 210. You know, I'm just here with my kids. You know, you know, you know my, my kids. Oh, wait, I can't post that. Stop. Hey, stop punching your brother. Stop it. Stop. All right. All right. Hey, guys, I'll be here in the San Antonio. 210. We all, how many all? Come on. We pretend. And we put on a show. It's funny because, you know, they called hypocrites back then um, actors in a play. It was Greek. There was a, it was kind of what, what the Greek actors inside of plays would do is they'd call them hypocrites. That's actually where it came from. And so they, they said, you're really good at becoming someone that people think you should be instead of being who you know you should be. And so with that as our backdrop today, I want to talk about what does that mean for us as a family? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. Today, you're going to teach us something, show us something. I've learned so much from just studying in this, God, how I can be better. And I pray that, God, whatever I share today, Lord, maybe we could all learn to take a step. Whatever step we need to take, we could do it under you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to play a little word association game today. Okay. It's going to be fun. 
All right. When I, when I say this word, I want you to think of it and then just we'll have fun. You can shout out. So you'd be like, can you talk in church? Yeah, you can talk in church. This is a fun church. This is a talk back church. And so you can say something. So I'm going to let you shout what you think of when I say this word. Okay, we're going to have some fun. This will be fun. This is a fun. Everybody say fun. Fun. Smile at me. Okay, so just smile so I can see. All right, y'all brush your teeth. All right, good. All right, so smile. So um, I'm going to say a word and you shout out what you think to me. Okay, so number one, we're going to say coffee. Coffee. What do you think of when I say coffee? Come on, just, it's a, so, yeah, uh-huh. latte. Ooh, yeah. Yo, I like latte. How many of y'all thought, how many, yeah, okay. Starbucks. Anybody thought Starbucks, right? Coffee, Starbucks. All right. Anybody thought like uh, Summer Moon down over here? Summer Moon. Got a little Summer Moon action. Dutch Brothers. You know, you kind of think of coffee. Some of y'all thought coffee. You thought like Folgers Crystals, you know, like y'all hear that commercial. You know, the best part of waking up. Come on, y'all. Don't tell me marketing don't work. I'm telling you. We need, I think our church just needs a catchphrase, a catch jingle, you know. And uh, some of y'all thought of Folgers Crystal. Some of y'all thought of, uh, you know, that Grande Caramel Latte with Whip, you know. Uh, Y'all don't want to know my favorite coffee drink is? Y'all want to know? My favorite, don't judge me, okay? I'm a man, but I like this drink. It's a, it's a, it's a, a venti iced decaf oat milk latte. That's my flow. That's how I do it, okay? I need decaf because my counselor told me I can't be having no caffeine because I'm already crazy. So I'm trying to cut it back. So uh, that's my thing. You know, so some of y'all thought about that. Uh, how about this? All right, we'll do another one. How about football? Come on, football, football. Come on. Yeah, Sunday. Yeah, Saints. Who that nation? Yeah, that's what's up. God's people. Some of y'all said Cowboys. We'll pray for you after service. There'll be people up here. We can pray for you. I'm so sorry. You know, my wife's a Cowboy fan. You know what I mean? I'm still trying to reach her for Jesus. Y'all got to pray for me. Uh, you know, some of y'all thought food. How many of y'all thought food when I said football? You know, y'all don't even like football, but you just like eat food, you know? Uh, and so, you know, we all, have, we all have different thoughts of football. All right, here's one. Here's, this, was, this was a fun one. Uh, how about um, uh, cheeseburger? Come on, how many of y'all like, tell me what you think of. Whataburger? Yeah. What? All right. In and out. Oh yeah, In and Out. That's right. I'm from California, so I like In and Out. Just is what it is. I know it's a hate, hated thing in Texas. It's okay. You can like both things. It's okay. We like both. Okay. I like Whataburger and I like In and Out. Some of y'all thought, you know, that double cheese. How many of y'all like the double cheese? It's the double cheeseburger. Who likes the thick patties in here? Who likes a thick patty burger in here? Come on, y'all. Who likes the thin smashed burger? The thin burgers, just like put together. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many of y'all like just a turkey burger? Just like I don't even like meat. I just like turkey burger. Just like the beef. All right. Cool. All right. Awesome. I like turkey. That's cool. I'm not a vegetarian, so it's just not a bean patty, you know. But, but we all say different things when we hear a different word. But how about, how about this? And don't, don't say it back. We're done with the game. But because this might get ugly if I say this word. But, um, you know, what do you think of when you think of when I say family? That's a tough, that's a tough thing. That's a, that's a tough situation when you think about family. Some of you, when I say family, you think of great things. You know, you have good memories of growing up with your parents and maybe going on vacation and maybe you're at Disney or you're at the beach or when I say family, you think of barbecues or you think of birthday parties or some of you think of Christmas. Some of you think of great grandparents. When I say family, it brings a good, a good thing. But to some of us, when I say family, it could be a, a rough thing. Some of you didn't have a father and you, you were jealous of the guys who did growing up. Some of you had, maybe your parents were there, but they were absent. Maybe they were workaholics and then you never saw your family. And maybe you grew up with crazy brothers or sisters that were demonic hellions. You know what I mean? Like anybody have that? Like, you know, don't raise your hand if they're in here. <laughs> but, but some of us really struggle with family, especially the wordplay of family. So when I say family, I, I get it. It could be a tough thing. 
it could be like our thing where you're just like, Pastor, we, I got to be honest with you. I can talk about anything else but family. But the truth is, is that like God has a specific way of creating family. It's not generalized. It's not, um, it's not even what you would think at times. God has a real unique way of helping us understand what family was. And here's why, because he created it. So let's be clear. God created it. And if God created it, I think he would probably have the best way of how we should actually live with it because the creator knows the design. And so for us, I wanted to spend the time we have left. It's just giving you, I thought as a pastor, what could I do? And the first message of our series, we're going to walk through certain things throughout this month. But in the first message of the series, I thought I'd give you maybe just five needs of a real family, like the real, the real, real family under God. Like, what does the Bible say? What's five needs of a real family? Now, this list is not exhaustive, which means this is not the only things you need to do. And it might be some things on this list where you're like, no, I'm really good at that. But there might be some things on the list where you're like, I don't do that at all. Or there might be some things on this list where you just didn't know. Maybe you're more ignorant to it. You're like, I didn't know that that was a big deal for families. I should probably make a step in moving that direction. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you a list of things. And I'm just wanna, we're going to talk about it today. We're just going to learn about maybe some best practices for real families. Number one, number one is this, five real uh, needs of a real family. Number one, is one thing I call order. Order. Um, as a pastor, I have a unique opportunity to counsel and meet with a lot of families. Um, it's just by the nature of my profession. So what, what I do on a regular basis is I connect with those who don't um, who, who are maybe struggling. Pastors are invited into some of the best moments of life, you know, marriages, and, you know, I get to marry people, and, and, or, you know, we get to dedicate kids, some of the highlights, but then I also get invited into some really tough moments where people are struggling, and maybe they counsel, or, or they, they, you know, just different parts of their life, and I've noticed with families, um, in my unique time with them, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now, um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's been unique to see how much dysfunction aligns when things are not in order in families. And, and if you read the Bible at all, you'll notice that God really does care about order. I'll read this for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is Paul. This is Apostle Paul. This is an apostle who planted churches. He writes a letter to a church in Corinth. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. It's a, it's a city. He writes a church to Corinth, and he says, here's what you need to be focused on. So it'd be like him, me writing you a letter, because I planted this church, like writing you a letter. Hey, church, just be clear about this. Make sure you know this about God. So Paul writes this to them. He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So like God doesn't, doesn't like disorder. He doesn't tolerate disorder. He doesn't move in disorder. He's bugged by disorder. And then goes into verse 40, he says, but everything should be done in a fittingly and orderly way. Everything, hear me now, everything you want in your life, in your family, I believe with all of my heart has a genesis of order. It starts with order. I'll give you a few reasons why. If you're looking to create something in your life, you want to create relationship, you want to create trust, you want to create accountability. These are all things you want from your family members and you from your family in general. If you're looking to create something, start with order. When God created the world, when he created in the creation account, the universe literally in chaos, God comes and he orders the chaos in a day one, two, and three by making the space. He starts to put things where they need to be. And then in day four, five, and six, you start to see God fill this space. And the reason he does that is he sets things in order so they can function properly. The other day I had picked up my flashlight and it didn't work. I knew it had batteries in it. I knew I had just set it up, but it didn't work. 
And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like shaking it around. I'm trying to, you know, you know, guys, you know what we do when things don't work. We hit it against something. I'm like, come on, hit work. And so that didn't work. I opened it up. There were batteries in it. Put the, the lid back on. I'm like, why isn't this thing working? Opened it back up. Took the batteries out only to realize that the batteries were not placed in the right direction. Now, there's only five people to blame in our family for that. And that's all of my children. <laughs> because they have not let yet learned that toys are not my tools are not toys. That's kind of my statement. My tools are not toys, okay? My tools are not toys. because partly they're dangerous. But um, I realized they didn't put them in the right order. It was only until I turned the batteries around and got them in right-fitting order that actually everything came together and it worked as it was designed. And some of us are looking to create things in our life without the principle of order. And when you don't have the principle of order, listen... It won't function properly. And I find it interesting that even with God and man, when God, when God actually put man and wife together, go read it. He doesn't actually give Adam a woman until Adam sets his life in order. Go back and read it. He's got to name the animals. He's got to work some things. He's got to do some stuff. He's got to make sure this garden's running right. Because he know, God knows if I give you a woman, she ain't going to live in that. And all the ladies said... Amen. Yeah. And we've been missing the hamper with our dirty clothes ever since. And so that could be a nice little note for those of you who might be single in here. If you're looking for someone, why would God give you the desires of your heart if you have no way to take care of the desire that you have? Order's a big step. Deliverance is another thing that order can bring. There's another story in the Old Testament of a man named Noah. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you haven't. But there was a flood that was coming in the earth. And God did not want to. wanted to deliver Noah from it. He wanted to save Noah from it. He wanted to keep Noah from it. Noah had to do some things. He had to get some stuff in order. And some of us in our families were looking to get deliverance from bad relationships or broken relationships or past mistakes. Maybe you made an issue. Has anybody ever made a mistake in their family? Anybody but me. Anybody ever made a mistake? I just need a little bit of deliverance. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. I don't want to. I want to maybe help get me out of that situation. Did you know that deliverance typically comes from order? In fact, if you go read in Genesis chapter 6... God goes out of his way to tell him exactly what the ark is going to look like. It's like, you're going to build with this type of wood. It's going to have this length and this width and this height. And I'm going to give you the pictures and the designs of how this thing is going to work. He even tells him where to put windows, y'all. Why? Because he knows if, if, if I do this, and Noah does it, if I do this, I'm going to get deliverance. And it wasn't just deliverance for him. I, I think this is so fitting for our, our, our series. It was deliverance for his family. So the order in his life not only brought him deliverance personally, it brought him deliverance for his, his own family. Are there some of you in here who are looking to help your family? Could be order. Or maybe it's not deliverance. You know, maybe at the end of the day, it's presence of God. I don't know if any Christian family doesn't go like, I want to have God in my life. Nobody wakes up and goes, I wish my kids were further away from God than they are today. And if you do, you probably should change your prayer. Most of us, I know people who don't even know God, love God, don't like God, don't acknowledge that he exists. But when their kids are acting crazy, they look up to heaven and say, Lord, help me. And if you want the presence of God in your life, hear me. You're going to need some order. You're going to need some order. You go back and look at the tabernacle that in the Old Testament where the Israelites would build and actually hold the presence of God. One day I'll teach you about the tabernacle. It's fascinating. But 
God gave him a, not one chapter, not two chapters, three chapters in the book of Exodus to actually create this, this tabernacle. It was specific measurements. It was specific materials. It was specific layers. It was, hey, here's, what, here's what's going to happen with the, the furniture. When you put the, you're going to put the furniture over here, and we're going to place it right here. And then we're even going to tell you all the people who lived inside of this tabernacle, goes inside, even the priests are going to have to wear this all the way down to their, yeah, their undergarments, right? Why do they do that? He said, no, order. We're going to have everything's going to be in order so that, when, so, so that when God's presence is ready, he can enter into it. And it just shows us that the presence of God is attracted to order. There's a reason why um, our churches don't last three hours long, our church services here at Rise. And some of you are all, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> there's a reason why there's not chaos in our church. There's a reason why there's an order. There's a reason why there's a schedule. There's a reason why we do things... There's a reason why when you walked into kids ministry, there wasn't nobody. There was somebody to receive you. There's a reason why you had parking people out there. There's a reason why you have guest services. There's a reason why there's ushers helping you sit down. And some of y'all are like, don't tell me where to sit. I'm going to sit where I want to sit. I'm in charge. I'm the man. And we're like, hold on. We're just trying to get you the best possible spot. Why? So that there's order and not chaos. And we do all that. Why? So that we could. What, what are we doing? We're creating a space for the presence of God. And I always laugh at people and they're like, well, how are you going to give God barriers? You can't put a boundary on God. God can do anything and let him go. You don't need to have a time limit. And I said, hold on. If God can do anything, then he don't need a three-hour service to come and be a part of it. If God can do anything, he can do anything in a, in a one-second service as much as he can do it in a three-hour service. I feel like I believe that God can do anything more than you do, apparently. And why do we do that? Because we believe in in order because the presence of God is attracted to order. So how does that work in your life? Let me just tell you a couple of things. Number one, it needs to work in your time. I don't know of a family that is, has order in their life that is not in control of their time. If time is in control of you, you have it backwards. It's out of order and you will have dysfunction. So here's what that means for you. You need to be in charge of your schedules. Your schedule should not be in charge of you. And the only way you can learn to do that is to say this really fantastic word. Some of you have never heard this before groundbreaking stuff today with Pastor Aaron. I promise it's going to change your life. You ready? The word is no. <laughs> I know. It's no. We're all going to say it together on the count of three. Like you're an old gospel preacher from your belly. We're all going to say no. One, two, three. No. Yeah, yeah. It felt good, didn't it? <sighs> hey, do you want to go on that? You want to go on that, that vacation that's going to cost you too much money? Hey, 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 I got this only thing. It's just one thing. It's just one thing. It's, I, know it's, I know it's 10 o'clock at night, and I know your kids need to be in bed, but, like, I really want to take it because I feel like you'll have a lot of fun. You want to you go with us? No. No. Do you want, hey, I was really hoping that maybe you could add this to your schedule because I know you're busy. I know you're busy. I know you're busy. I know you're busy, but can I add something to you to make it more busy? No. No. I'm really good at that, by the way. I've learned. And some of us, are caught by our own schedules. And, and there's, nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing that will stifle the blessing of God in your life than an overinflated schedule. You are not impressing anybody by having nothing, having no downtime. Number two is routine. I will say this primarily for kids. I'm begging you on behalf of your kids, please give them a routine. It is not cool to keep your kids out till midnight. 
I've had to tell this to people. And some people are like, no, no, it's what we do. We just roll. When we had kids, we didn't want it to affect our life. We didn't want to change nothing. I'm like, are you ridiculous? Or like, what's wrong with you? It did change your life. You had a child. There's now a new human being in your world. It should change. It's silly stuff we say to ourselves, isn't it? So your kids need routine. They need to go to bed. They need to know every night. By the way, they'll fight you until they, they can't fight no more. But they still need to know every night they go to bed. Our bedtime for our kids, 8 o'clock. This is what it is. It doesn't need to be 8 o'clock for you. I'm not saying that's a prescription. I'm giving you a description of what is happening in my life. And the only reason I do that is because my wife didn't agree to 5.30 for them to be their bedtimes. <laughs> she said it's a little too early, Aaron. I'm like, okay, well, you're fine, 8 o'clock. And we do that. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because it brings those kids security. They need bound. Children need boundaries. They, they need it. They'll never tell you, Dad, please give me a bedtime. Will you tell, Dad, will you please tell me when to stop eating ice cream? God, Dad, will you make sure that I don't get anything I want? Right? Just make sure I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. What are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you the complete opposite. It's our job. It's our job to keep them on routine. Second one is this. I think it's not just time. Order and time. You need order in your roles. Um, I need you to think back to right now. Every dysfunctional family you know right now, the genesis of it, I promise you, is that there's somebody in the family not playing the role that they were designed. So if you're a father in here, you need to play the role of the father. If you're a mom in here, you need to play the role of the mom. If you're a child, you need to play the role of a mom. Do you know how many people end up in my office for counseling that were given the parent responsibility as a child too early. Dysfunction. And when you have roles that are not played appropriately, come on, there always ends in chaos. Order needs to be in your life. And if you're late to places, I'm smiling, <laughs> trying to be kind. That's not orderly. Number two, love. We'll just move on. Let's, let's talk about something fun. Love. Uh, every real family needs love. Let me just read you a series of scriptures. These are like the best of the best that the scriptures have to say. 1 Corinthians 16 says, do everything in love. John 13 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing one another in love. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, maybe my favorite, it says, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what is is." Yeah, it's love. Like, it, you just got to know. God, it's a big deal to God. Love is a big deal to God. God. God cares. In fact, it's such a big deal to God that the Bible says God is love. So every real family under God, man, you need love. You need to be loving. This is to the man who feels like it's unmanly to be loving to his family. The manliest thing you can do is to love the daylights out of your family sacrificially and humbly. This is for the lady who feels overwhelmed and undervalued in what she's doing with her kids. The most important thing you can do is love your family in the way that you can love your family. Are you hearing me? Love is critical, is critical to a real godly family. Two practical ways you can do that and be a loving family. And number one, and you're going to, before I tell you, you're going to have to contextualize this to your family. So it's not, 
I have to figure out how this works. But I would say number one is loving an appropriate touch. So with your kids, I get that there are different personalities in here. And some of y'all are like, you ever know the five love languages? You know, like you receive and give love based on a, a certain love language. You know, there's touch and gifts and time and words, all that kind of thing. But, but it might not be your love language to be a touch person. But if you're in a family, you better work on that thing. Did you know that hugs are natural antidepressants? It doesn't, it, it, by the way, that's a scientific study and it doesn't matter what kind of personality you are. And some of us have excused our fact and our lack of touching based on my personality. Like, well, I'm not a touch person. They're going to have to get over it. No, you're going to have to get over it. Amen. That's like me saying, oh, you know, I'm not really a talk person, so I'm not going to preach today. No, that's what we do. Pastors, pre- you see what I'm saying? You're in a family. That's what families do. So you're going to have to figure out a way in the context of your child What's appropriate for them? I have five boys. Three of them are touch. Two of them are not. And what I can get into the habit of, if I'm not careful, is that it's really easy for me to come and like hug my, my sons or they can sit right next to me and they're always sitting right next to me and they're like right here next to me and they're like magnets next to me. And I'm like, homie, I need like a pillow. So I just get a little bit of a break because I can't breathe. <gasps> I can't breathe. So I just, you know, I got one over here. I got one on top of me. I got one on my head. I just like all over me. And so I got those three are easy. They get enough touch. But the other ones who don't like to be touched, they need it too. They just need it in their own manner. They need it in their own way. And so I got to learn to do that. So I'll give you an example. The other day, I was in my house. I walked in my house, and it was too quiet. Anybody ever walk into your house and it's too quiet? Like, something's wrong. I'm like, I, my, my, you know, my spider sense went crazy. I'm like, mm, something's wrong. So what I naturally thought was, because my wife, I love my wife. She's amazing. I love her. She's awesome. She's powerful. Just woman of God. Amazing. Beautiful. Couldn't ask her anymore. But she does this really ridiculous thing where she teaches my kids to scare me. She thinks it's funny to scare me. I'm kind of a skittish. Like, I just feel like, can I ask you a question? If you were a pastor of a church, don't you think demons should be coming after you on a regular basis? I just think that. I just feel like I'm out, they're out to get me. My wife uses that to her advantage, to my disadvantage, and she likes to scare me on a regular basis. I thought, you know what, they're they, they trying to scare me. Ain't going to happen today. So I walk in, and I'm like, all right. So I look for the best place to hide so that I can scare them who are then trying to scare me. Y'all see where I'm going. So I found this little spot. I go around the corner, come around this spot. I thought this was going to be where I was going to be. Guess where they were? They were all right there, ready to scare me. I walk up on them. I scare them. They scream. They scare me. I didn't know they were there. I scream. And their response to it was, and I kid you not, let's punch dad as hard as possible. My twins, who are 14 years old now, are pretty, they're starting to get, you know, strong. And they, I mean, I'm telling you, they hit me so hard that I, when they hit me, I, I, I did one of these things. I was, I was like, oh, boom, boom. And I was like, oh. And I went down on a knee. And the other little ones just started punching me in the side. You know, they started punching me in the side. One of the other ones grabbed my face, started pulling me down. And I had to literally scream out, please stop. I'm hurt. Like, I'm done. Tap out. I'm done. And they're like, you're just joking, Dad. You're just joking. The other one's like kneeing me in the side. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, and, and what I realized is my wife comes out and she goes, she goes, I'm not sorry. It's your fault. 
And I'm like, my fault. She goes, you wrestle with them all the time. They're, they're used to it. Aaron, they said, she said this. She goes, Aaron, it's how they receive love now. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> my insurance policy needs to go up, you know? And, uh, but I realized, like, hey, I, I, we did that because, like, man, I, I wanted them to know dad was always around. So we wrestle. We do t- so you're going to have to find your specific way that, that really, the whole point of it is, like, find, contextualize it to your life. You might not, wrestling might not be the thing, but I'm saying, like, figure out something to do with your kids. Second one is this. Um, uh, 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 we're talking loving and appropriate touch with your spouse. Like, that means, like, non-sexual touch. Like, being able to, the other day, <laughs> this is a funny story. My, my wife had a feather on her shoulder. She was, like, getting ready. She had a feather on her shoulder from one of our pillows. And she had a feather on her shoulder. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go. I didn't even think about it. I just walked out. I was like, oh, I'm going to go. It's like one on her shoulder. And I wiped it out. And she goes, oh, oh. You know how you ladies do How, how do y'all do it? Like, she grabbed my hand. She goes, oh, thank you for just touching me. She started floating a little bit. I'm like, you had a feather on your shoulder. I was just rubbing it off your shoulder. And she goes, oh, 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 okay. She, she goes, I just love it when you, when you just, you lovingly touch me, you know, on my hair and on my face. You just hold my hand. And I'm like, okay. You know? <laughs> Why? Because ladies, y'all need that. You know, like, and I think guys need that too, man. Honestly, there's sometimes I just need to be like, hey, just give me a hug. You know, sometimes the other day I walked to my wife, just, can you just give me a hug? She goes, Why? <laughs> Never mind. So, uh, uh, so loving and appropriate touch. Loving and appropriate talk. I think so. Talk and touch. Just can I just tell you? There's something powerful when a father encourages his kids. There's something powerful when a mom encourages his, her kids. When a, when a father, when a, when, a, when a husband talks to his wife and says she's amazing. She talks. Just so you know, your opinion of her means more to her than anyone else's. His, his, his opinion of you means more to him than anybody else. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 it's so good. Just loving and appropriate talk. Number three, confrontation. Every real family needs a healthy confrontation. And the key word is there is healthy confrontation. Healthy, healthy, healthy. I don't know if you guys uh, get into dumb fights, but, but you know what a dumb fight is? You want to know what a dumb fight well, I'll give it to you in the Bible. Second Timothy says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. I'm really good at that because sometimes I'll fight with my wife on things I agree with her about. <laughs> Does anybody else do that? Like you just you just looking to yell. The other day, my wife said something I agreed with about our kids. Something about like, you know, hey, can you be you, know, you go you know, make the sandwiches for the kids? I'm like, I ain't making no sandwiches for the kids. I don't want to make no sandwiches. You make the sandwich. Can the kids make a sandwich? She's like, whoa, like, I thought you liked making sandwiches. She's like, oh, I do. I'll go make them. <laughs> you just get in a fight for no reason. That's called a dumb argument. But there are some arguments you do need to have. There are some confrontation moments you do need to have. Ephesians 4 says, instead, speak truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. Healthy confrontations means I'm going to speak truth to you in love because I love you and it matters and I want to grow in Christ. And the only way you can do that is do what I call have a set of rules of engagement. So I'm going to read you something from the military. This is really good. This is their rules of engagement for combat. It says directives, these are rules of engagement are directives that delineate the circumstances when, where, and how, and limitations under which forces will initiate and or continue combat engagement. You want to know the simple definition? This is what I do when conflict happens. And you guys need to have what I call like no-no lists. 
Like to-do lists and to-don't lists. Like here's what I do when we get into a confrontation. Here's what I don't do when I get into a confrontation. So examples of things on the don't do conversation moment, okay? Throwing things probably needs to be on the don't do conversation, right? You probably don't want to throw stuff. Probably calling names. You know, avoid profanity. Things like that are probably things that make things worse. So find stuff in your own unique context where you're on the to don't, and this is how we to do. And here's what I would say. There are two, two types of people typically in the world. There are the ones who like confrontation. If that's you, raise your hand. You like team confrontation. I like to get on in it. And I get, okay, we got one. And yeah, yeah, we got two. I'm on that team. So come on, join me. If you want to join the good team, the right team, four, five, six, seven, eight. We all winners in here, right? Because we confront until we win. It don't even matter if it was what it was about. I like to, I don't even want to, I like making the sandwiches, but I'm going to win the arguments. I started an argument just to win because I knew it was, I was going to win it. And so you might be on that team. If that's you, you just need to know not everything's worth fighting over. You don't care that much. Look, look at my eyes. You don't care that much. You don't. No, pastor, I care. I care. She hurt me. He said it to her. You don't care that much. It's not worth fighting about. Number two, if you are a second type of person where you're the anti-confrontation. Anybody in here, you're like, no con Team, no confrontation. Raise your hand. Come on, team. Like, you believe it, and you love God, and you put deodorant on this morning. All right. You got team, no confrontation. Here's what you need to know. You, you, you better got, you, 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 yeah, you need to get up and say something. You're not doing anybody a favor by laying over and going, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. If I close my eyes and I cover my face, it'll go away. It doesn't go away. Have you ever noticed that? Because when I open my eyes back up, my wife's still standing there with crossed arms. Matt. And you're going to have to have a confrontation. And I would say this. I don't have um, a lot to say about fighting other than what I did. I did a sermon series called What Happy Couples Know a few months back. And I did part three of Happy Couples Know. It's the Ten Commandments of Fighting. That's all I got. That's the best of the best what Pastor Aaron has. So if you want to know a great ways to fight and have a conversation, part three. Last one is this. Fun. 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 Every real family needs fun time. I want to read some things for you from the Bible because there's some people out here that probably need to hear this. Christian people. If you ain't a Christian, this ain't for you. But some Christian people need to hear this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat or drink and find enjoyment in his toil. They, this also I saw was the hand of God. So God gave you that enjoyment. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17. A joyful heart is good, is, is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Psalm chapter 118 is maybe my favorite. This is the day that the Lord has made. Y'all heard this one. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. Some of y'all Christians out there be like, let us rejoice and be sad in it. Y'all walk around like Eeyore with lemons in your mouth, just mad at the world for no reason. You are team no fun. Your family's suffering. Your family's suffering. Your job is to be in charge of the fun. Enjoy your life. I like Jesus came to give us life to the fullest, not a little bit of life, just enough so that you can make it like fall into heaven. He gave it to you so you can enjoy life. And I'm surprised by how many Christians I meet that are just the worst. 
You're the worst. I want to hang out with non-Christian people because at least they know how to have fun. I talked to someone the other day. They're like, can we, you, you, we want to do a small, we want to get in a small group because like we just got to go find a small group that just teaches the word. And I said, okay, we teach the word, but like, can you just make some food and like have fun? We don't need fun. We need the spirit of God. I'm like, yes. But everywhere Jesus went, did you know children chase Jesus? They chased him. We chase kids off. What I know about kids is they're not, they don't lie, right? They tell you exactly how they feel. And if Jesus was chased by kids, that dude would have been fun. He was the guy who had candy in his pockets all the time. Here you go. We love you. We're going to have fun. We're going to go over here. We're going to do this. It was a good time when you were around Jesus. And when I get around some Christians who represent Jesus, it's a terrible time. And then you bring it into your family, and then you're like, well, we're loving Jesus. No fun. I'm like, I read this from an article from a, a Christian psychologist. He said, kids don't believe you love them unless you play with them. So two extremes in this, right? There's, there's the no fun family. All you do is sit, sulk, and save. Save your money for a day that never comes. And I'm not saying you shouldn't save, but you, should, you, you realize God gave you money to enjoy, too. Your kid, you should take your kids to SeaWorld. I hate SeaWorld. I don't want to take my kids to SeaWorld. Well, that's good. It ain't for you. <laughs> Last time I checked, you were the adult. Stop acting like the kid. Oh, that was good. Tweet that. Anyway. <laughs> or the all family, all the all fun families, all you do is search for the next big thing and you have no margin in your life. You'll notice this when fun stops being fun, it starts becoming work. And so I just think sometimes you're going to have to just take a moment. Be fun. Can, can I just tell Be fun with your family. Find some fun. Find some shared fun. We all enjoy something. Figure out what it is. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It costs nothing to go to the park. It costs nothing to just maybe make some things. There's, there's a way you can do it. Be fun. Last one is this. Five, five needs. This is good. It's called God moments. I put this in here because I felt like a pastor needs to put this in here. I felt judged. I felt like if I don't put this in here, then the church won't feel like I'm a real pastor. So you need to do your God moments with your family. You need to have prayer, Bible, and church. That's what we think of, right, when we think of God moments? Prayer, Bible, church, like Christian things, religious things. And those are good. But here's the twist. The last four things I told you, those are all God moments. I just convinced you. Fun is a God moment. Order is a God moment. Love? Are you kidding me? What does the Bible actually say about God? He is love. That's a God moment. Confrontation? Jesus flipped tables, y'all. Makes me happy. He feels like he, I feel like Jesus had an anger problem sometimes because sometimes I feel like I have an anger problem. I'm like, Jesus, if you could flip a table, maybe I'll just toss something every once in a while, you know? Those are all God moments. And, and at the end of the day, like, you're, you're going to, and here's, so, so here's the caveat to all the things I told you. Guess what? You're not going to be great at all of them. But that's okay. 
That's where Jesus comes in. And he covers all the places that you don't. You can't do, you can't make, and you can't get to. And my prayer is that maybe one of those stood out to you that you could take a step in today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that right now, God, you are doing something amazing. You're doing something powerful in our life. And I know that everything that we heard today, maybe we're challenged with, maybe we're encouraged with, maybe we're confirmed with, to know that we want to live by you, for you, with you in every aspect of our life. And I pray that today, God, as we continue to worship your name, as we continue to be like you, God, we would do that in our families. In Jesus' name.